Welcome to Culture Score, people. Culture Score is a podcast that reviews film and TV shows through a lens at the intersection of black culture and popular culture. My name is Ben Tubo. And this is Marcus Moore. The one and only the Marcus Moore. Today, <laughs> <laughs> today we're reviewing the movie called Miss Juneteenth. Screenplay and directed by Channing Godfrey Peoples. I think this is her first Feature, right, Marcus? That's correct. That's correct. All right. It's brought to you by BT Plus. The leads are Nicole Bihari, Kendrick Sampson, and Alexis Chikese. Marcus. The synopsis, man. Hit him. Well, before we tell him the synopsis, let's let's real quick, because we we left the um, let's talk about the elephant in the room. We were supposed to give you all three straight episodes with a guest. And right. because of what right. has happened, um, what has happened in, the, in, in this country, which I'm so glad to see, uh, it has been signed that uh, Juneteenth is now a national holiday. So it's just the second ever uh, holiday that's for a person of color here in the United States. And so because of that, this is a special, special episode. Uh, ben and I were talking. It was like, yeah, we got to commem- commemorate this. We can't just let this go go by, but we wanted to keep it consistent. And so we were like, hey, we missed it last year because of COVID and wasn't able to talk about Miss Juneteenth like we wanted to. And Ben had the foresight to say, you know what, let's just wait, something to happen where we can talk about it later on. And as a soothsayer, the man who has fought tigers and lions and rhinoceroses came out and was correct. And this opportunity came and we're like, hey, this is the perfect time to talk about it. And so, first and foremost, to everyone out there, happy Juneteenth. Uh, even if it's a little bit behind when you hear this, we thought it was still relevant. We wanted to commemorate this this national holiday. And so, that's why we decided to do it. So, before I jump into synopsis, did I tidy it up real nice, Ben, or did you want to say anything else Yeah, you it? did, man. And I appreciate you calling me um, the man who was caught lions and tigers and not <laughs> calling me Tiger King because that ain't no <laughs> If I see you with a mullet <laughs> and some skinny jeans, I'm going to be worried. Don't worry about that. That's not coming. So go ahead. So, uh, yeah. So the Miss Juneteenth is about a pageant that happens on Juneteenth, played wonderfully by Nicole Bahari. A uh, big shout out to my hometown girl. Uh, even though I think she's from Florida, she actually went to a... Uh, like a acting school in Greenville, South Carolina. So representing the SC um, and just does an amazing job where she is basically a former Miss Juneteenth, which is a beauty pageant and she's come on hard times. And uh, it, this movie does a really great job of showing the fight, the resilience, the struggle. Um, and now she has a daughter that she had when she was 15 years old, who is now going to be a participant in Miss Juneteenth. So it comes full circle and you just see the struggle and the strife and it takes place in um, Fort Worth, Texas. And so, yeah, so that's, that's the gist. And so uh, we're going to delve into it. We're going to tell you a little bit about the film. We're going to tell you about the intersectionality between this film and what happens in black culture. And uh, we hope you guys will enjoy us as we go along for this ride. So Let's get right into it. Yeah, so, I mean, that is great synopsis, Marcus. I think this is one of the movies that I didn't think would be easy to summarize, but you did a bang-up job, as you always do, um, mm-hmm. you know, with this. But I think to me, with this being a first-time feature for the creator, Channing Godfrey Peoples, 
And I listened to an interview that she did, and she said it took her seven years to finally get this done and to get it out and, you know, how things work out. It took seven years, but he got out when he got out, when this Juneteenth thing was hot and those, the George Floyd, everything just, you know, things always work out the way they work out, right? So, but the question in my mind was, in your mind, or in your opinion, not my mind, your mind, in your opinion, after watching this, is, is this a movie that you felt like had to absolutely be made? You know, especially now. I mean, it's hard to say no. Um, who knows, man, how much of a role this movie played in the holiday coming about. You never know. Um, I think the overwhelming majority of the population didn't even know what Juneteenth was. You know, I saw a poll the other day um, when I knew we were going to watch this that showed something like 61% of all white people didn't know what Juneteenth was. Uh, it showed something like, I can't remember what it was, but it was like like high 40s, almost 50% of Hispanics didn't. And it didn't show how many blacks, but I know a lot of black people didn't know what Juneteenth was either. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons why it was difficult to be made initially. Um, I think it's difficult to get any black highbrow movie made, uh, to be honest with you. Um, it's very, very difficult to get something made. And so especially it's about a subject matter that you don't really know much about. Um, I think that can be a challenge. And for a first-time director, a black woman, I mean, let's just be honest, black women typically have a harder time than most. So that, that can take on a life of its own. But I think it totally needed to be made because there's not enough female black-centric films made, period. Um, Nicole Bahari is the centerpiece. Her daughter, who I think is also, forgive me for not thinking of her name right now, um, but she, this is her first time. This is her first feature as well to have Alexis two. Casey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So these two black women are the centerpieces of this movie. When's the last time you saw two women, period, but two black women being the centerpiece of a film that's also got a historical reference? I mean, one of the few times you've probably seen a movie that's like black females literally are the main characters was set it off. And that happened 25 years ago. You just don't see that very often. And, um, and I think it's so important to see, especially after what has happened in this country over the last couple of years. And we oftentimes talk about violence and all these things. It was just kind of refreshing to see a movie where even though there's still struggle, I'm not going to sit here and say it wasn't a lot of struggle. And sometimes that is hard to see. You just Sometimes I want to see a movie where black people just aren't struggling. But that's the dichotomy that so many of us live in. And I just love the tenacity, the fight, and, and the silence uh, strength that was shown in this movie. So it had to be made, um, in my opinion, because we need to know more about Juneteenth. And we need to know that um, as a person who grew up in a more rural area, all too often movies only focuses on urban areas, L.A., New York, Chicago. A lot of us don't live in those kind of areas. A lot of poverty, a lot of lives are, are taking place in rural communities. And this movie does a really excellent job of showcasing that. So I think it had to be made. And as you said, um, uh, you know, as, or as, you know, it, it may not have come um, right away, but yeah, it took seven years to be made. But I think this was the perfect time when it dropped uh, last year in 2020. So what did you think? Did you think it had to be made? Yeah, I did, you know, for, for different reasons. So watching the movie, obviously, it says Miss Juneteenth. And it's not so much of the Juneteenth vibe that you get by listening to 
the conversations in the media about Juneteenth. And so one of the reasons we usually would pick a movie when we're having these conversations is because we're focusing on film and on TV shows and reviewing them for content. But because they always have a reference to society and to our daily lives and to people and to cultures, we use them as a way to have these big, broader conversations that they refer to. So with that said, I, I, it absolutely had to be made for a few reasons. One is that it's called Miss Juneteenth, so you can't miss that off the title. And they have enough instances in the movie where they drop it off. But I'll also go back and say, I know we did Nomadland a long time ago. I, I actually call this movie Nomadland-esque. It's a different kind of movie, right? But in its own way, it celebrates life where there is love. You know, it celebrates life where there is hope and an aspiration of freedom, right? So with, with the tenets of that in the movie, you know, the, the, the freedom that is in it is not the kind that requires guns and wars like we've seen some of the big, you know, the big highbrow movies, you know, but it's about, you know, the upward mobility that dreams are made of for people who are not born with relative privilege, right? I say that because I know the word privilege also gets some people a little bit off kilter. But, you know, it's, it's liberating in a way. And the movie is kind of light on its, on its feet. It's very connective, you know, and, and there's a part of it that really spoke to me, which is, you know, the deferred dreams of a parent and how that shapes what kind of a parent that, the mom is in the movie, which is if you think about parenting and you think about, you know, how you were raised and how your friends are raising the kids, you see aspects of them trying to polish up aspects of their life that they think needed improve, right? And and there's a lot of that that comes through in the movie. So to me, what really makes me think this movie absolutely had to be made is because the creator it comes across as something very personal for her. I read, like I said, I listened to some of her interviews. I read some articles about her. And she's talking about a community that she grew in. Um, she's talking about experiences that she had. And she's framing them around a broader conversation that speaks to people beyond just, this is what I think and this is how I feel. Um, this is how I feel around a historical date. This is how I feel about my people. This is how I feel about my culture. And, and every time you have that, every time you can bring to the big screen a point of view that's personal yet relatable, it opens people's eyes to things that they would otherwise not stop to think about, right? So on that vein for me, I think the movie absolutely had to be made because it, it brings those things to the front and you know, give us an opportunity to, to talk about it and take a pause and, and recognize it for what it is. So I'd say absolutely as well. Well, we kind of addressed this in both of our, you know, our responses. You know, you're dealing with a, you know, a pretty downtrodden story, you know, where the main character, uh, Turkey, Turquoise is her character name, Nicole Baharis. Um, you know, in this film, poverty, to me, is central to the story. Um, that's clear and present. One of the first scenes you see, in the film, the first scene that you see is kind of shocking. Like you see this beautiful girl picture, Nicole Bahari, who's a very beautiful black woman. And she was this pageant queen. And here she is cleaning toilets. And that immediately kind of creates a visceral response. Like we don't usually see um, a pageant queen cleaning a public toilet. 
So I kind of thought about that. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, I really, I'm really curious as to what, what Ben thinks about this. So do you think like with the, you know, it been called Miss Juneteenth, which is a beauty pageant. Do you think that the beauty pageant serves as a metaphor between those that are have and have nots? Because as you see Nicole Bahari and you see Nicole Bahari's daughter in the film, they don't have a lot. They don't have the money for the dress, the 800 bucks, the $400 for the, the fee. But then you see these other girls and they seem to have it all together and they have money. And, and so I'm just curious, like it's a very interesting uh, play between this whole area being very poverty stricken, but yet the focal point of the film is a beauty pageant. So uh, tidying that up, like, do you see the beauty pageant serving as a metaphor between the have and the have nots? Man, you like to ask these questions about metaphors and tie-ins <laughs> and relatability <laughs> and all of these things. Uh, well, there is, um, and this is part of, I think the haves and haves not and have not concept construct of life and of society is intrinsically what we've become, right? Because I mean, I, I, I use this analogy to me, which is really, I can't find a better way, a better example of it. It's like flying. You know, you've gone from first class business, class economy, um, and now you have first class business class, economy premium, economy plus, economy minus, economy B, right? And you go, <laughs> economy it's, it's, basic. <laughs> economy basic, you can pick, you know what I mean? And this is what society has become. And it's, it's reflective of where you go. And in a capitalistic system, that's how they make money, right? You want to buy, you know, let's, I was reading about the Ford Bronco, um, the Bronco, the one that's the new one that's coming out. I think it started shipping finally. But the base price is something like in the 30s. But you can get that thing up to like 70 or 70s or 80Ks, right? So I think it's it's really what we are as a people. With that said, it, it's also the fluid of, it's the juice of life. It's the juice of dreams, right? So on the poverty side for me, I say my definition of poverty when I looked at it is really it wasn't really that the, they didn't have money. Um, Turka is in the movie that she didn't have money. What I looked at and I saw was that, you know, she didn't lose the ability to hope, right? She didn't lose community. She didn't lose the sense of a lack of belonging. She had challenges, but she operated within a circle. And, you know, to me, there are lots of people who are financially very well off, but who are poor. Right. And yeah, I use that word poor, like I'm not even going to do quote unquote. I'm just going to use it bare bones like it is. Right. Mm -hmm. The lacking in hope, the lacking in spirit, the like crabs. Right. Because they got money. They got to do everything to protect it. They won't pay their workers. They won't go out to eat. They don't have friends. Right. And then they're subjected to the worst kind of human poverty that you can have. So the metaphor to me, really in the plot line that stood out wasn't the poverty, which is apparent and the haves and the have nots in their little community that is not portrayed as a very rich community or well-off community financially is portrayed, you know, but to me, um, what I found in the plot line is 
the delay of the promise, right? The delay of their ability to do what they want to do, the barriers that stand in their way. And like I mentioned before, for Turquoise, Nicole Bahari's character, the deference of her dream. And then everything about her and her life and her focus is about her getting past that delay. It's about her pushing down the barriers. It's about her getting to this dream and aspiring with the limited tools that she has within a broader environment that is set up to showcase the haves and the haves not, right? So in a very funny way to me, as much as the challenges are prevalent, I find it to be a story of hope and of overcoming and of humanity. And, you know, it, it's to me, it's, it makes for these kinds of movies that we talk about, right? That win awards like Normandland, The Help, Precious, Monsters Ball, Fences, Green Book, you name it. These are the kinds of movies that win awards because they tell, they tell it in a very empathetic way, a fundamental part of who we remain regardless of where we get to in life or where we think in our heads we get to, right? So the metaphors there, the haves and the haves not, I just saw that because they had all these other things, it made up for it in a way that um, money probably couldn't have made up for. I love how you start off by saying, Marcus comes up with all this metaphorical talk, and then you just drop us with like eight minutes of like this ethereal, deep thinking, you know, you know, Eckhart Tolle. I don't know. I've, yeah, I've, been, I've been talking to myself about the high horse and not riding it. <laughs> See, everybody can hear all this intelligence coming through. I mean, you had the audacity to mess with me about saying a metaphor. But I'll, I'll just aside, you know, you can probably tell by me posing a question. I think it is. Um, one of my favorite words in the world is moxie. And this movie does such an amazing job of just showing the moxie and the strength and the wherewithal and the ability to get up and make something out of nothing that black women do every day. Um it is, it is, to me, that's, that's what the whole pageant is about in a way is because, and I agree with you, like it's about overcoming and fighting, but this is a person who was at the tippy top and because she had a child when she was 15, she's a tough mom. Like Nicole Bahari plays that tough mom, but not, you know, not violent, you know, cause sometimes when people play tough mothers, they play it so tough that they're evil. They're just like nasty. Like who would want that to be their mother? She didn't do that. You never once got the feeling that she didn't love her daughter, that she wasn't doing it for her best interest, but she was just so afraid that she was going to end up like her. Because to have a child at 15, it's just, I can't even imagine how daunting that is. And I think the thing that I left off when I gave the synopsis is Miss Juneteenth isn't just a pageant for a crown and a, and a, and a trophy. You get a four-year scholarship to any HBCU of your choice. And if you're from... You and if you, of course, I mean, I was surprised they didn't bring up Hampton because, I mean, that's, that is the HBCU. But we'll, we'll, we'll let that slide this time. But all jokes aside, you know, if you're from a small town, and I get that because my town that I grew up in is 1,200 people. You know, I probably went to school the furthest of anybody in my high school, and I only went to a school in Virginia, which isn't that far from South Carolina. If I wasn't the furthest, I was one of the three furthest. And so when you come from a small rural area, it's not a lot of opportunities for you to get out. And I think Nicole Bahari's character turquoise was really trying to exemplify that to her daughter is that you, whether you want to be in this pageant or not, this is your way out. Because if not, you're going to be working three, four jobs like I am 
worrying about keeping the lights on. I can't even buy my daughter a good birthday cake. And there's, there's some sadness to that, but you never feel sorry for them. You really just recognize how hard it is, but that grind, and as I said, that moxie to just say, no, this is your way out. But when you see the other girls that's in the beauty pageants, they have no issues with buying their dresses. You see the person who's now a part of um, the pageant, and that's who Nicole Bahari beat. So you can still tell that she's mad that she lost to her, especially since she didn't even get to go and really fulfill the scholarship anyway. So you feel the jealousy. And one of the things I've always felt in life is when I was younger, you know, you would see people who didn't have as much. And my mother used to always say, like, don't be so caught up with what somebody has materially. Because a lot of times people have a lot material, but they have nothing spiritually. And I do believe that because people who grow up tough and they didn't have a lot, man, when they get something, they appreciate it so much more. And when you climb that hill, when you get to that summit, you you feel like you just fought lions and tigers and rhinoceroses because you made it. You, you win against all odds. If you grew up with a silver spoon in your mouth and somebody just handed it to you, is it, is it any less rewarding? Maybe not, but you didn't work for it. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to claw. And so I just, I, I really like that this movie kind of has this oxymoron between this poverty-stricken area and this beauty pageant because that's not something you see every day. And then they add the complexity of, oh, yeah, it's Juneteenth. So, man, I, I, I think for this to be a first-time feature, Man, and the cinematography from this film was done so well. The shots of it, I mean, it was just done really well. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's a bit of a metaphor, but I, at the same token, I agree with you that it was about triumph and, and just not giving up. And I think nothing encapsulates black culture more than our will to just keep going. So let, let me ask you something. You've said something a couple times about the strength of the black woman and the culture and the will to fight, obviously the plot line of it, which is, we've talked about, but in the movie as well, she has kind of like a love triangle thing going on. Mm-hmm. And the portrayal of the black male in the movie, or black man in the movie. What are your thoughts about that, real quick? Uh, you know what, I actually thought, I know some people will view one of the roles as negative. Um, she had the one guy who was the funeral home uh, parlor owner, and he clearly had been in love with her forever. But the heart wants what the heart wants. And her baby's father, uh, who's played by Kendrick Sampson, who is an amazing person and actor. Um, I was really happy to see that, too, because I noticed this is a little sidebar. All too often, the more fair-skinned, the light-skinned guy don't get to play the more everyday man. He's, he got to play the mechanic. And a darker complexion, browner-skinned black man got to play the business guy. And as myself, I'm a lighter complexion person. I really appreciate it that. I do. I really appreciate it that. Don't start. I'm not yellow. I'm golden like the arches. McDonald's, if you want coughing, to dude. come and give me some advertising. What are you def- I didn't say anything. I, all, that, all, can- that, all that coughing. Oh, keep on. Jesus. Keep on. Keep on. But really, I really Jesus. appreciated that because usually they make the light-skinned guy be the business guy who's a knight in shining armor. And the darker skinned guy is the guy who works at the, at the garage and whatever. I really liked, because that's something you don't see. And I, and I think that that's kudos 
to having somebody black make this film. That they don't, I can't stand in any aspect of life when somebody puts you in a box. So I really like that dichotomy that we kind of kind of turned it on his um on his head a little bit because light-skinned guys don't always have to be the pretty guy, the pretty boy. You know, we have regular jobs. Dark-skinned guys are not always got to play some hardened guy or somebody who's a thug. I, I just get tired of that. And I was just really happy to see that it was it was like almost role reversals because that's what Hollywood wants to show you. And I don't feel like the men were portrayed necessarily negatively. It really showed the hardships of black men, too. They're in these, um, especially Kendrick Sampson's role, I mean, he's got a, a dead-end job. He's got dreams. He's got aspirations. He's, his heart's in the right place. Does he make bad decisions? Yes. That's people who are rich and poor make bad decisions. You know, the, the cops are always looking for a reason to take you down, which that's not so hard to believe. So I feel like it was a pretty good, and as a, again, as a person from the rural, a rural area in, in America and in the South specifically, these are things that could happen to anybody. It's just so hard to make it out. Um, you know, I, I was never a gambling person, but when you don't have money, there's a reason why lottery tickets sell so well in poor areas. And that's the same thing. It's like he's up here gambling, playing cards, just trying to trying to get a little extra money because when you don't have anything, man, you'll do anything just to get a little bit more than what you got just to make it easier. So yeah. I, I don't feel like the men were really portrayed negatively. To be honest with you, I think it's a pretty real depiction of the struggles that we face and the lack of opportunities to get ahead. So you do whatever you can. So, yeah. So anyway, I know that was a little longer than you probably wanted, but yeah, I think it was done pretty realistically and pretty well. I mean, what did you feel like the men were portrayed in a negative fashion or what was your thoughts? No, they had men in many different roles. So there's, there's depth in the different roles that they played. Right. So there's, yeah. you know, um, the Ron bar owner, yeah, there's the bar owner, there's, you know, the funeral home owner guy, there's the different men who play different roles. So, and I, I think it's reflective of a full scope. Only reason I, I brought that up is because you talked about the black woman, but I also wanted us to talk about the fact that, you know, she had a child when, you know, she was young and, you know, she has a husband, ex-husband about to go through a divorce, whatever they were going through. And he has another suitor that's trying to get with her and she works for another guy. So there's the dimensions to it that I thought they did a good job of bringing into the storytelling because mm-hmm. they, didn't, they didn't just paint the one. They brought different flavors of men and represented a good cross-section of the different things that you know, a, a woman in her situation or in that part of the world, however you want to put it, they, 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 they didn't try to tell the one story. She brought in different dimensions, you know, in the script. So um, I didn't think it was negative. I just thought it was, it was interesting that they brought it in and, brought, and used the different dimensions to tell the story. So, No, that's good. I mean, I think that's what happens when you got black people making black movies. I use this word yeah, a lot and, on this and show. And a woman at that. <laughs> And a yeah, woman I mean, at that, right? Yeah, because you get layers. And I use that term a lot on this show, but it, it, there's nothing worse than a one-dimensional character. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody has a backstory. Uh, everyone has complexities. Everyone has strengths and weaknesses and motivations and fears and so forth. And I think when a black person makes a black movie, it's just done naturally. And it doesn't have to be overly embellished. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just felt like, even if you're not from this type of area, 
you know people. It looks realistic. It you 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 know someone that's I just, had this upbringing. I just gotta say, using the hot comb. Oh man! Remembering what <laughs> Denzel said about culture and the hot comb. <laughs> oh man! I used to see it. My sister hated that thing when she was a little girl. She did not she like. She it. should. <laughs> I think and take the back of your head. <laughs> and every and every woman who's ever ever had a hot comb in their head, I'm sure their mother or their aunt or their hairdresser was like, "Ooh, she tender headed." She tender-headed. Like, everybody be tender-headed if you got a piece of hot metal burning your skin. metal straight from the fire. You can use that thing to melt gold with it. <laughs> like, this hey, is to, just a head. To all the Try women to who have said this to me, y'all are right. Women, y'all go through way more than we do. Because I can tell you right now, you would not be putting no hot comb on my head. I can tell you that right now. So, I'm, I'm, I would you know tell people. I'm funny is. The funniest videos I see about that are like, you know, this men who go to the hospital and they're about to get like a shot. Oh, that's me. I, <laughs> I, I don't have no shame. Them, I am a punk see them when it comes falling to apart. No, like, no, no, no. Oh. When I get it, when I, I look, I don't mind being, you know, self deprecating here. Every time I have to go get blood, they have to lay me down because I will straight up blackout. They have to lay me down and they don't want all this six foot four plus falling on them. I was like, you better lay me down. It's like, no, no, no. You bring your pacifier too? Man, let me tell you, I bring my pacifier, my blankie, my teddy bear. I bring it all. (laughs) Just, I don't look. I don't look. I ain't scared of snakes. I ain't scared of no spiders. I don't like heights, but they don't, but needles, man, me and needles, we have a hate, hate relationship. (laughs) So, so yeah, so you can joke me if you want to, but hey, I don't need nothing piercing my skin. Thank you just the same. That's why I don't have no earrings. I don't have none of that. Nothing cutting into me. I'm good on that. I hear you, brother. Amen <laughs> to that. I don't mind it, but I don't like it either. I can just go sit there and close my eyes and take it. But um, I'm not one to just, like, you know, like, some people have to, like, give themselves shots. I'm like, <laughs> no, no. That's I'm why no matter how much I like clinic. sweets. I'm going to have to swing by the clinic every day. <laughs> every day, man. I could I, you I, do it? Man, my grandmother, God rest her soul, um, you know, which, which afflicts so many of us, was diabetic. And I was like, please don't ever make me have to get this to you. Um, I could, And I couldn't even watch her take it. I had to leave a room. Like, I can't even... I'm so bad, man. Like, I used to love ER or you watch Grey's Anatomy, man. As soon... I can see them take the heart out. I'm good. But when they bring that needle out, man, your boy got a, I got a blanket over my face. I can't see no needles, man. I ain't about that life. (laughs) Yep. So anyway. All right. One more question for you. This is a question around um, Juneteenth becoming a holiday. So do you think it's a distraction for Juneteenth to become a holiday now? And so this question, not so much about the movie, uh, it's about the title, Juneteenth, right? So yeah. is it a distraction from the other things like police reform and HR 40, the Bill about reparations and voting rights? What's your position on that? Man, that is a loaded question. I, here's my thing. Um, there's two sides to every coin, but I don't, I don't agree fully with either side. And by that, um, I don't believe that people should say, oh, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I'm like, do we deserve this holiday? Yes. The end of slavery should be, that's an American thing. Because that means America finally resolved itself of being a nation filled of hypocrites. 
Um, are we still? Can we still be hypocritical? Yes, but now we're not just lying on the very foundation for which we claim to stand. Um, we didn't have inalienable rights, and for those who may not know, um, Juneteenth. You know, after Abraham Lincoln read the Emancipation Proclamation, at the time, thirty-one uh, percent of all the residents in, in Texas were slaves, and so Texas was very agitated and and very slow to want to get rid of slavery. Um, and so what happened is when the messenger made it to Galveston, Texas, which I, if my memory serves me correctly, is about an hour and a half south of Houston, uh, near, near the um, Gulf of Mexico, that's when the, fi- the, the final uh, slaves were finally free. Hence, it being called Juneteenth. And so this holiday is long overdue. Um, as much as I, I love and respect um, and have so much admiration for Dr. King, Juneteenth should have been a holiday before MLK was because, I mean, come on, slavery ended a long time ago, so it should have been a holiday, if you want to be completely honest. Um, not that one's more important to the other because MLK gave his life for what we, what we have, not just here in America, but for a lot of the things that's changed for the better in the world. But Juneteenth should have been a holiday. But am I foolish enough to believe after the last four years we've endured in this country and how black people in droves in my mind, especially black women and black men, let's don't get black men, let's don't slight them either, but more so black women, but very close second, black men pretty much determine this election for this last, this last term. And so do I think this is a distraction because, oh, we're asking for police reform? Because a lot of black people like, hey, where? What about reparations? Um, and you have all of these, all these states and counties just sitting here trying to get rid of voting rights to keep us from, um, sw- you know, swinging elections again. Even though it was done fairly, by the way, they've taken so much. Um, they just they've enjoyed so often saying, oh well, this small percentage of black people vote, but they got a little taste when Obama came. And they got another taste of it this past election. Or what happens when black people say, hey, we coming out in droves because we tired of you. And all of a sudden, let's give them Juneteenth. But see, this is the thing. This is not 1950. This ain't 1960. This ain't 1970, 80, 90, 2000, 2010. Black people, we understand the power of our vote. And we prove more than any generation. I'm, I don't care what no one say. When you're willing to stand outside for 12 hours just to vote, for one vote, you serious about that thing. And so you can sit here and give us a holiday, which we earned and deserve. And let it not be a we. This is an American holiday. Do we call President's Day a they holiday? I think not. We, do we call Memorial Day a they? No, we died in those, war, those wars too. These are American holidays, and we need to stop acting like it's, oh, that's just for the blacks. And let's be, let's be clear. This holiday might have happened because it was the end of slavery, but on that day every year, are white people off too? Are Hispanics off? Are Asians off? It's not just a black holiday, but it would be foolhardy, Ben. It would be foolhardy to think, why now? Now, to his credit, Joe Biden is in, in, in the office, and he's a much more progressive president than what we had before, and black people single-handedly 
I repeat, single-handedly put Joe Biden in office. <laughs> so, so no disrespect. I think Joe Biden would have done the right thing regardless. But the reason why I got congressional approval is because they can say, oh, look what we gave you so we can take all this other stuff away from you. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just a historian. <laughs> That's how it's traditionally been done. We'll give you one thing that you didn't ask for so that we don't have to give you three, th- three things that you've already earned and been promised. So, yes, I do think it's a, a distraction from police reform. I do think it's a distraction from legislation, H.R. 40, uh, about reparations. And I think it's also a distraction from um, trying to eliminate as many of our voting rights as possible, completely and honestly, because even giving us Juneteenth, and I told you about our foundation for which we stand on is, you know, when slavery ended, we're still a nation of hypocrites. And I'm sorry to say it. (laughs) And so the truth is in the pudding. Yeah. yeah. I know it was a lot. (laughs) I know that was a lot. No, I mean, it's it's a very... um... It's not a light. It's not a light conversation or a light argument. To I know we probably can have this in five minutes and gone and seem like we had a full conversation about it. But clearly, this is not something. This is not a conversation you can have in five minutes or ten minutes, right? Because it's, right. it's very deep, and you 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 touched on something which I think is is really how we should think about these topics when they come up. Juneteenth, Black History Month, you know, MLK Day. Like, these are not black days, right? This is not to recognize. These are American days. This is fundamental to the history of America. So it really shouldn't be a black holiday. Like you said, everybody celebrates it. And these are milestones that are critical to who we are as a people, who we are as a country, and, you know, what we teach of ourselves. Because, you know, history tends to repeat itself, whether you learn about it or not. History tends to repeat itself. If you don't learn about it, then you make the same mistakes. But it comes back around sooner or later. That's just the nature of people. Floods, tornadoes, and buildings, you know, falling because they didn't use the right beams. Like, humanity does all of these things. But I'll give you a counter to this, to the position that you had, Marcus. And this is, this is really not mine. It's just that somebody made this argument to me very cogently. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a better argument than the one I had in my head. Because to me, when I heard, you know, Juneteenth's a holiday, I'm like, yeah, symbolism. Like, so what? Like, what changes? Like, this is, it's always been the day. It's always going to be there. Whether you make it a holiday or not, it doesn't change. Why don't you change the things that actually touch on people's lives, right? Voting rights and police reform. And these are the things that we talk about incessantly and that don't go away. But there's a guy that I write with. Um, and he made this argument about recognizing little wins. And he referenced something that Obama said, right? Sometimes two steps forward, one step back, um, compelled by persistent effort of dedicated citizens, blah, 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 blah. I wrote it down, but I don't know that I wrote the right things. But basically, it's that progress is not linear. You can't just take one step and the next step and the next step. You can take five steps and the wipe four. But if you're diligent about it, you realize that you made one step progress. Yeah, right. That's and true. so to me, to me, this is really what it is. Because as much as Juneteenth becomes this, a holiday, and we go on and say you can't teach about 
American history in school. You want to call it critical race theory, which is a, a deeper, more, a little bit more nuanced argument. Not as complex as they make it out to be because they're just saying, we're really going to teach you how it is. That's what's critical about it. They don't even want you to teach the diet or the light version, right? So I don't want to get into that. But if you say that you're getting Juneteenth, but we're not allowing you to teach, and we're actually making it in some states illegal for you to learn about the history of the country and all of these things, even if you do that, the fact that you have Juneteenth off and the fact that some kid somewhere that has no interest whatsoever who or whose parents would not have given them an opportunity to learn about Juneteenth and what it is can stop on that day and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, you know, what is Juneteenth? Or just jump on Google and say, you know, what is this Juneteenth about? It's a mm. teaching moment. And these teaching moments compound, right? When, when they learn about it and they go and say, okay, the, the soldiers that came back from the Second World War and they had all these GI bills that were supposed to give them access to mortgages and all of these things, it lends into some kind of offshoot might lend into police reform. And it may be that kid that's in a position to make it happen. For voting rights, um, whether they, I mean, I don't want to say they, like whether we want it or not, you are not forever going to force people to show up at a voting booth when they can do everything via their phones, right? They, you can, they can pay their mortgages on their phones, buy cars on their phones, buy houses, but they can't vote. So there are all these things that to me, and this is an argument that was made to me, because to, to be honest, my initial opinion was this is symbolism. I really don't think this matters. Like Ted Cruz was supporting it for crying out loud, and I just don't think... Anyway, let me not get into that. But <laughs> so, yeah, really, right? Because I'm about to just be uh, you, you about to open up a can. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I'll back off from that. But I think the, the, the bigger and the better argument that was made to me is progress is not linear. You take it, the small increments, you take the cookie crumbs, Marcus. I talk about this a lot, right? Yeah. You take the phrase. cookie crumbs, you build on it. And eventually, the whole picture comes into frame. If you want to talk about a metaphor, when we started, we said this movie took seven years to make. At least that's what I heard the creator um, mm -hmm. talk about in one of her interviews, right? So Channing, Godfrey Peoples, that's what she said. It took seven years. Imagine that the seven years ended up landing in 2019 and 20. Yeah. It just shows you that things happen and come together when they should come together. And they don't always need to fall in line because who knows what the plan is. We can only do what we do. Like we can only control what we control, right? So um, is it a distraction? It could be. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it that because sometimes we give credence to opinions and strategies to people that don't deserve it or who don't take as much time to think about these things and say, okay, let's just give them Juneteenth. It's like, is this top-notch, secret, high-thinking individuals who sit in a room and say, okay, if we give them Juneteenth and take these other five away, they won't notice, right? So I don't even want to give anybody that kind of credit. I'll just say it's not a distraction. Let's celebrate it for what it is and let's own the responsibility as a people. And this is not a black people or white people thing. This is an American thing. Let's own the responsibility to the day to say on Juneteenth, like on Memorial Day, like on Labor Day, what is this day about? On President's Day, what is this day about? We learn about it and 
like all philosophies and like all disciplines, if you have one good discipline, like an apple a day, that thing that people used to say back in the day, like, but I'm sure now they say don't eat apples because they use a lot of pesticides. <laughs> but <laughs> if you have these disciplines, right, they always hold up other disciplines. So just be disciplined around not only taking the day off, be disciplined about learning, be disciplined about instructing yourself, be disciplined about having these conversations because ultimately it comes together. So I, I, don't, I don't think about it as a distraction anymore. I don't think about it as a symbol anymore. I look at it as a cookie crumb and the cookie crumbs add up to make the big cookie. And if we're all looking for humanity, if we're all looking to be better and we're all looking for growth and we're all looking for hope and for peace. And I can go on and on and on. We'll take cookie crumbs because they add up. So that's But you know what, though, man? I, even when you say that, like, I think there's so much truth to that and there's so much truth to power. But I will say this. Just because somebody does something to create a distraction doesn't mean that it distracts from the movement. When Ma Malcolm X was killed, when Martin Luther King was killed, part of it was done to stop the civil rights movement. And did people cry? And were people hurt? Were people angry? Were they disillusioned? Yes, 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 and yes. But did it make, did it, did it negate the ferocity that change was needed? No. So regardless of some of those folks, their reasoning for doing it might be to distract them to say, oh, let's just give them a win. But all you did was show that this disenfranchised group that has been taken advantage of since this country has been a nation that through their vote, through their power, through their resilience, change can come through. And even when you say two steps back, two steps forward, one step back, you still progress one step. That's one step closer to where you need to be than you were before. And if it's one thing that's synonymous with being black is this no path has ever been easy, but you have to stay the course because if you don't, what's your, what's your option? you know, to not be around anymore. So to not celebrate the end of uh, a monstrosity. And I think the most important part to Juneteenth becoming a holiday is too often we're at like, oh God, we got to talk about slavery. That was so long ago. But the ramifications of it are still so persistent now. And, you know, Ava DuVernay's, you know, the 13th and so many things show you that how it's still going on to this day, it's just disguised as something else. So by studying it, by putting it out there, when I was in school, it was always amazing in the history books how black history was always that part of the book at the end, page 600 to 700, that you just never seemed to get to any year. It was always like, oh, well, Christopher Columbus, well, that's the end of it. Let's start watching some Disney movies the last two weeks before school is over. We never got to it. But when you make it a holiday, now the discussions has to be had. And it's not, sometimes your victories isn't for you today. It's for future generations. You know, if there's no Michael Jordan doing what Michael Jordan did or, did or did, excuse me, perhaps you don't get to see how great LeBron James is now because you got to see something happen for it to be an effect, like cause and effect, like seeing how great he was made people think, oh, I can do that too. And I can do it differently. I can do it better. So it's, it's about educating. And sometimes it's not just about educating the people that it happened to. It's educating the folks who are young, 
who they'll never know anything about slavery because their parents aren't talking about it. But now it has to be addressed. And, and so and the, 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 I, 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 I didn't want to cut you off. Marcus. No, no, you're fine. You no, okay. no, go for it. I, I, I was going to say, and, and the cool thing about the space that we're in now, just like with Black History Month and all these, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month and Pride Month, right? All these cultures and all these days that we celebrate, the cool thing with media now, like TV and film and Disney Plus and Netflix and Hulu and Peacock and you know what I mean? The cool mm-hmm. thing with them now is because there's so much out there, they curate it for you. Like Black History Month, yeah, boom, watch it. Pride Month, boom, watch it. There's going to be a time now because it's Juneteenth, they're going to put content out. You're going to sit at home, you know, what can I watch today? They're going to put it right in your face for you to watch it, right? And so I'm agreeing with what you said, Marcus, that it extends this ability for folks to just listen and be a part of it. But with that, I also want to do a quick shout out and then I'm going to pinch you for your score here since I always catch you first. But maybe maybe you'll get me first today. There's a lady that's called Oprah Lee. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've missed Oprah Lee. She's 94. Oh, is that the lady who was doing the walk, the long walk? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. She's been one of the foremost so i actually met her in dallas when we're doing um a vip socio um event down there and um i mean she was up late i'm talking midnight i'm an 8 p.m go to bed type of dude because i don't like to hang around if i don't have something going on Mm -hmm. she was up advocating and pushing and she has this you know, the march that she did, she was advocating for this day to be a holiday for a long time when it didn't even seem like it made sense. She's 94 years old. And to her, like, I just want to doff my hat to her. Like, you know, like, it's not... Uh, what's, her, what's her name again, Ben? Opal. O-P-A-L. Opal okay. Lee. She's um, 94. Like, she was the driving force behind it. So... You know, to her, like when this day passed, when they made it a holiday and I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, if I fought for something my whole life, right, Mm -hmm. my whole life, and it finally came to pass, am I just going to go lay down in bed and be like, I'm done? Like, what what becomes of me, right? Because really, this was her life's mission. And I just really want to recognize her. I wish we could get her on as a guest. We you know what? Let's we we should let's let's just make that right now. Let's we are we are dedicating this episode to her her fight, her persistency, her struggle, and if I'm not mistaken, even at her age now, just to commemorate her walk all the way that she did for charity from I think it was from Galveston all the way to Washington D.C. and she, she was present dude, during when Biden year. signed it, right? So yep, she was right there. Yeah, she, and so now she's doing another gave walk. Her the pen. Yeah. Yeah, like I, it's not going to be as long because she's older, but she's doing another walk to commemorate it. We dedicate this to her, this episode, and just see the power in one person's actions to, I mean, who this thing would not even probably be here this, this holiday no, if it wasn't she, for her, the actions of her. So, no, she's galvanized people. Last year she was out there and doing um, revolt was. Following her, I think she did a thing with um, she did a thing in LA. I'm not sure which is the agencies that she did it, but she's everywhere. She actually showed up 
in this movie, I don't know if you noticed, like right before the pageant, um, mm-hmm. pageantry started, she was like, yeah, I'm openly doing thing. And it was a very mm-hmm. short little stint, but she showed up. I was like, you know, good for you. I hope she got millions for that little cameo. But yeah, <laughs> I hope a, so. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, she deserves it. I mean, I just, you know what? That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you, man, black people are so just, man, just a tenacity and black women. You, I, come on. That's all I got. That's all I'm gonna say. Black women, we salute you. Um, let's jump into some scores, man. Tell me, tell me what your scores. We're gonna let you go first this time. Uh, you gonna do a drum roll? Or you just gonna let me go? I'm just gonna let you go, man. Uh, the stage is set. All right. So my score. Um, I always start with my score before I give my whole big spiel, but I'm gonna give this a three. Mm. And. So really, this it's it's a very good movie. Like I said, I compared it to Nomadland, right? And The Help and Pressures and Monsters Ball and Fences and Green Book. So it's that kind of movie that has the kind of vibe. It's really a, it's an American story. And if you're into like Texas movies with the cowboys and the guns and the horses and the, the cows, all of that stuff, this is a different kind of Texas. So you should definitely watch it. If not because of the old Texas, you watch it because of the new Texas and because it brings you into a different, you know, angle of society that is not glamorous, even though it's um, in a city. It has, obviously has history, has a ton of culture. It's informative. It's inspiring. And it has a very soft power. Um, the acting was very well done. Um, the reason I give it a three is in my mind, you can tell this is the first time project um, first time feature for the for the creator, um, and I think I tie that mostly really to the the script. Like it feels like to me there there are a few plot lines in it that didn't come together, and the characters just they kind of land where they land without the necessary character development. So the daughter was the daughter. There's this fight and grind with you know the daughter and the mom, the mom and the daughter, the husband. There's a beginning and there's an end that comes together and the middle doesn't quite stitch up. So I find that there are a few things in there that even though the movie has a very warm heart, right? And the creator definitely has a warm heart. There, there are lots of beats in that I found missing and that didn't quite tie in together the way they should have tied in together, even though they ended up happening. So I give it a three, not this is more of a technicality for me that the movie has a good heart. Um, there's a lot of color. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of history. Um, I just found that I could tell that this was the first time and it, it felt like some shorts. Um, it wasn't written. Um, the screenplay was not as long as it ended up being. They made it long to make it a feature. So three for me. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to go a little higher than you on this one. I mean, I'm going to go a four on this one. Um, I think, first of all, to get this made is a triumph amongst it, uh, within itself. Um, I think so often, man, and I don't, I, we talk about the black culture and intersectionality between pop culture. And I hope people know, like, this is not a show to dog non-black people. But I, I want to make this point and just say that when you see a, a, a film that's made by a, a white director, producer, what have you. And they take these kind of films. And so often it's like, this is groundbreaking. This is this, that, and the other. For this to have probably the budget that it had, I said it early on, the cinematography, the, the color of it was done really well. Um, 
it, it, it made you feel like you were there. And I, and I feel like there was a lot of power in letting the scene kind of continue a little bit in silence. Um, I felt like there was a lot of moments in silence that was just held. Um, I, I, I would dare anybody, especially any black person, watch Nicole Bahari's performance as a mom and them looks she gives her daughter and tell me that that don't resonate with you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I think so often when we look at it, we're like, who's the new up-and-coming black Hollywood actor or actresses coming up? Because, you know, Queen Latifah, who's great, I don't, I'm not calling anybody older, but she's been around for a while. Jada Pinkett, Halle Berry, they're phenomenal and they're beautiful and they've been around for a while. Why is Nicole Bahari not working more? I'm being honest. Like, she had her own show. What is it? Sleepy Hollow. She played Jackie Robinson's wife in 42. Why do we not see her more? You know, why? And so she carries this movie, you know, like, like a, a, a Will Smith in I Am Legend or a Tom Hanks in Castaway, where one person pretty much has to carry an entire film. And she elicits empathy without sympathy. The acting is done. And most of these actors you've never seen or heard of, and you may never see them again. And they held their own. And it just goes to show the wealth of talent that is out there if just merely given a chance. Um, did it feel like a, a little bit of a longer made-for-TV movie? I'll say that. I could see that. But I'll be honest, I've seen a myriad of movies that are not done by underrepresented groups that had the same thing and they got nominated and won every award known to man. So I think the subject matter is, is done really well. I think the storylines are very realistic. I think Nicole Bahari is amazing. Um, I really think she's amazing. I, I think she was nominated she and amazing. won a couple of, yeah, a couple of like independent film awards, which it deserves. And I just challenge everyone who's listening to this, whether you're black, white, Puerto Rican, Haitian, whatever nation you're from, give this movie a chance because too often um, underrepresented groups, whether it's LGBTQ or it's Hispanic or it's Asian or it's black or whatever the case may be or, or, or someone handicapped, these movies don't get the same pomp and circumstance that other people's movies do. They're not M. Night Shyamalan. They're not, you know, you don't get that same kind of um, attention. And so there's more to the movies than just Fast and the Furious, which nothing wrong with the Fast and the Furious, nothing at all. But watch something sometime that challenges you in a different way, something that kind of you settle in, it makes you think. And, and I'm going to be very blunt, and, and maybe I'm, I'm tugging on somebody's heartstrings here. They don't think black people go see these movies. They think if it's not shooting, killing, cursing, slinging, you know, pimps, hoes, rims, dollar, dollar bills, y'all, we don't support it. But that's not who we all are. And so I feel like it's so important that we, that we champion these types of films. Because I will say this, and then I'll get off my soapbox. In the late 90s, we had Love Jones. We had The Wood. We had Inkwell. Um, it was just so many highbrow black movies out there. Yeah, you still had New Jersey Drive, Boys in the Hood, you know, Menace to Society. You still had those. But we had balance. We, we had something that showed the totality of what it's like to be a black person. Now, do we have that? And so I think it's so important that we champion these films and, and people go see them. 
and we review them and we discuss them and 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 then we tell people about it and 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 ask that they go see it too. I love I'm sure there's a million people who love Medea and more power to you. And it's great to want to laugh, but it's also great to learn and 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 see something that's a little bit more thought-provoking at times. So my score is a four. Um, we hope that you all will see it and make decisions for yourself. But we're just really proud to be able to say that this holiday is a holiday. And we didn't want to give you false promises. We promised you three straight guests, but we felt like it was really vital to uh, kind of intersect uh, from our normal routine of giving you three brand new episodes with three guests to talk about not only this um, remarkable film, but to also to celebrate. Uh, you said it was Opal Lee. Is that correct, Ben? Opal Lee? Opal, yeah. Okay. And, and just celebrate her, her tenacity, and, and also just a celebration of Juneteenth because black folks, we here. We here. Can you, I mean, we here and we made this happen. And so whether you're black, white, or whatever, celebrate. If you have children, teach them the stories. Um, have empathy for other people. You know, we say all the time, which we shouldn't, 9-11, never forget. And we shouldn't forget. So many lives were lost unnecessarily. But we shouldn't forget what happened in the Holocaust. We, we, shouldn't happen, we shouldn't forget what happened to our, our Native American brothers and sisters. We shouldn't forget what happened with slavery. We shouldn't forget these things. These things still hold true. We shouldn't forget what happened in Hawaii, how we just took their land. And, you know, that, all of these stories make us, make us who we are. And we need to respect people's struggle and strife, especially when we benefit from it. So... All right, Ben, I'm going to let you close this off because I'm about to get on my soapbox. Man, you went deep. Ocean, bottom of the ocean. Eh. <laughs> but, I mean, that's what it is, man. That's, uh, you know, definitely if you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why does Jay-Z say that? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind. <laughs> See, I'm trying to rap, man. I'm trying to have a different career. But, I mean, thanks for listening. Um, that's what I was trying to do. And then this whole song came into my head and I started ad libbing. Thanks for listening, um, you know, to Culture Score. Um, we do this podcast to have these conversations around culture, movies, um, TV shows, society, people. Um, like Marcus mentioned, we talked about doing these three episodes, but this one had to be done. So next week, we're back to doing the Flash Black um, trademark. Trademark on that one is pending. That's Marcus came up with that one. It's one of one of his very few moments of brilliance. <laughs> I don't know when he's gonna have another moment because he has one like every ninety nine years. But um, that was like one. Haley's Flash comic. Black. Like every time there's a Haley's comic, that's when that idea. Pop up. Well, idea well, real pops quick, just to kind head. of give them a little tease, a little tease. So Flash Black is what we're calling it. And what the premise of it, we won't tell you the film yet, but the premise of it is not only are we going to do new films, but we're going to try to do at least once a month, we're going to hit you all with a film that is a historically black relevant film. And just talk about why is it so relevant in our, in our culture? Like, why does this movie stand out? upon the pantheon of great black films that just resonates with so many people. Um, and we're going to have a special guest. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it personally. And I know Ben is looking to looking uh, to uh, looking forward to it personally, but for a completely different reason, because um, he's just looking for any information to rib me more than he already does. But we cannot wait to bring it to you. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting. 
It's going to be very fun. And honestly, I think it's going to be very informative. Um, so we look forward to sharing that with you all next week. Uh, in the meantime, I know Ben usually goes first. I'll do mine real quick. You can find us uh, on Speak Studio. I'll let Ben kind of do that. He does it so much better than I. But I can be found on all social media platforms under the Marcus T. Moore. That's T-H-E, Marcus with a C, T as in Tom, and the last name is Moore with two O's. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and the Gram. Uh, ben, I'll let you take it from here. All right, so closing out real quick, this podcast is a Speak Studio original. Um, you can find us on you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts, download, leave us your reviews. If you want to reach out to us, we're on social media at speak.studio across all platforms. So speak, D-O-T spelled out, studio. My handle is um, TuboB, so it's T-U-B as in boy, U-O-B-E. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for listening. We enjoy doing this. We hope you had fun, you know, you learned something. And until next time, we're looking forward to doing the next episode. Thank you. Peace. All right. Peace. Peace.